0: And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. How many of you remember your first job? Just think about your first job. You made a huge salary, I know, in that first job. Probably was uh, probably were not very highly paid, uh, but... I was thinking about this because there was a Twitter hashtag a couple of years ago that was something like first six jobs or first seven jobs and it was all these celebrities that were listing the first jobs that they ever had. And it was pretty interesting and, and and they used this to talk about how a lot of people, like feel, feels like sometimes people are working later and later. Where we live here, my kids go to Tesoro High School, you can't even get a job unless you have permission from the school to get a job, which is which is strange because I remember my first I was 14. Well, this is like skipping the paper route days where dogs chased me and stuff. So, but after the paper route days, and and some of you that are younger, like we don't throw newspapers anymore. But, but uh, I remember working at Sherry's Drive-In at this little hamburger restaurant. I think I made like 350 an hour. One time, I dipped my hand in the French fry fryer. I wouldn't recommend that. That was not a good day. So working fast food. Anybody work fast food like early on as your first job? A few of you. Then I went on to become a busboy at an Italian restaurant. That was like $2.10 an hour plus tips, but the servers always stole all of our tips. And so that was kind of a miserable job too. And then I had a really glamorous job at Toys R Us. Anybody ever work at Toys R Us? You get to wear the orange vest. So uh, that was not an awesome job. And then I installed camper shells for a living. All right? That was like call like high school summer job installing camper shells in Arizona. So I don't recommend that being in the back of a truck in the summer, putting a camper shell on. But if you need a camper shell installed, I know how to do it. Uh, and then during college, I sold strawberries at a roadside stand. Now that's a great job because you can do your homework and eat strawberries and get paid uh, to sell strawberries at a roadside stand. So just you know, just a few of the jobs. And I could go on and on because if you're if you've been out there for a while, you probably worked a few different kinds of jobs. Cause I know I don't know very many people who started a job and then stay in that job and never leave that job. We try different things until we learn what we like to do. Now, work is a huge part of our lives for most of us. All right, now if you're a mom right now, you might say, my work is being with little kids all day long, and yes, that is work, just the same. All of us work in some capacity and many of us get up every day and go to work. Many of you are kind of bitter because tomorrow you have to go back to work because Thanksgiving is over. You can be thankful that you had a couple of days off probably and then tomorrow you go back to work. The challenge is, is that many of us don't know how to connect work with our faith. So we come to church, and we sing songs like what we just sang, and we see Christians, and you might go to a small group in the middle of the week, but you don't have a real grid for how work is connected with your faith. Now, I've heard very, very few sermons in my life and I grew up going to church where anybody ever talked about how I should actually view my work. Besides the fact that I should probably tell some people about Jesus, keep some hidden Bible tracts in my back pocket, those sorts of things, but is that really what it looks like to work as a Christian? How do I connect what I do for way more hours than a week? I mean, few of you spend more hours at church, right? Because you don't hang out on this campus all the time or you'd be removed from it during the week probably. So, few of you spend uh, many more hours at church than you do in your work life. So, how should I view my work? How does it connect with my Christianity? Now, how about this? Are there some careers that are more God-honoring than other careers? What if you're choosing a career right now? You're going to college. You're trying to figure out what to do. Are there some careers that are more sacred and some careers that are more secular? I thought so when I was in college. I thought that some careers were more sacred. To be a pastor was a more sacred career than say saving lives, like being a doctor. No, that's not as awesome as being a pastor. That's what I thought when I was in college. In fact, what about this? Do we need more pastors? than we need nurses or teachers? Alright? In fact, when preparing a sermon, you might look at Chris and say, Chris's job is truly awesome. He gets to prepare sermons and have coffee with people. All the time, right? Would that be a better, would that be a better people say to me, they say, What do you do with your time as a pastor? And I say, Man, if you didn't sin so much, I wouldn't have to pray all the time for you all day long. So, so would would preparing sermons for 12 hours a week be a better use of your time than being a computer programmer? All right, or a barista. So listen, if you're a pastor like Chris, or an admin assistant, or a teacher, or a barista, or a restaurant server, or an author, or a construction worker, or a homemaker, or a fast food worker, or a dental hygienist, or a volunteer, or your social worker, then this sermon is for you. Because I want every single one of you to be able to know what I do all week long matters to God. And you should wake up tomorrow morning no matter what you do, whatever it is, and you should go, today is a day that matters to God. And if you're not thinking that way, then you don't have a healthy understanding. We call it in theological circles a theology of vocation. All right, Which is a fancy way of saying my work matters to God. All right. Now, I want you to see five things today. I'm going to give you the five things. You don't have to write them down because I'll I'll go through and explain them. But I want you to see five things today. And this applies to every one of you. So even if you're not a Christian and you've come here and you're like, I heard about this new church. I'm curious. Or Chris is my friend, so I want to support Chris and his new church plant. This applies to you because you work, right? So think about this, all right? First, I want you to see that God Himself is a worker. Second, that God created you and me to work like Him. All right, third, to work is to create culture. Really excited for you to understand this third point because many of you have probably never heard this before. Fourth, that all work is sacred. And fifth, that whatever you do, your work regardless of what it is, is of critical importance. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start in a really challenging and unknown section of scripture called Genesis one one. All right, if you've been a Christian for three minutes, you probably opened the Bible of Genesis. You know Genesis; it's what you start with the one year Bible reading plan. It's kind of exciting, and then you get to Leviticus and you quit in the one year Bible reading plan. Right? You've all done that, so don't lie. All right, Genesis one one. Here's right where it starts. All right, in the beginning. God created. We just say those five words, that five words, will you read that out loud with me on the count of three? One, two, three. In the beginning, God created. All right? This is where work starts. All right? God's word begins with an announcement. It says, In the beginning, God created. That's significant. It doesn't say, In the beginning, God sat majestic in the heavens. Or, In the beginning, God looked down and was. Just amazed at what He had already made. It says, in the beginning, God acted. God made something. God created heaven and earth. God worked. That's how the Bible starts. It starts with God working. We see right in the beginning that God Himself is a worker. Right? You need to know that. God created work. Work is a part of God's nature and character. Now the reason that's important, you'll see in a second, but let's go on. To see what Genesis 2 says, All right? You've read that in the one year Bible reading plan too. Genesis 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Does it feel clear? Nod your head if it feels clear that God worked. does, right? It says clearly, God worked. Now why is this important to you as you go to work tomorrow? It's important because when we understand that God is a worker, we realize that work is not a necessary evil. Work was a part of paradise and perfection. you understand that? Work is not a necessary evil. You don't work so that you can get to Friday. Right? You work because work is a part of what God created us to do. That's the next thing we see. Number two is that God created us to work like Him. So God is a worker. God Himself is a worker. Number two, God created us to work like Him. Now, where do we get this? Genesis 2, verse 15. We read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's what we read way back, like when we were designed as people. We read this. We were created by God to work. To take care of God's creation. To to work it and to take care of it. To be stewards of God's creation through work. So God, God Himself assigned Adam and Eve important work prior to the fall when things were perfect. Now, when I was growing up, there was a song. In fact, I'm gonna ask you to finish the title to the song if you remember. If you remember you probably don't remember it unless you have a grayer beard, and there's only one or two of you that do. All right. So there was a song called Take This Job and say it out loud: Take this job and Shove it. <laughs> you remember that? You don't remember that because it was in like the 1970s, but you probably heard about that. There was a song called Take This Job and Shove It, and people loved that song because if you saw the movie Office Space, that was a radar movie, so you shouldn't have seen it. All right, but I saw it. So if you saw the movie Office Space, you know that, you know, that like some people feel that way about their job. You feel like this job is horrible. I hate this job. And so there was a song that people celebrated and they would gather at happy hour on Friday and they would sing, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. And some of you have dreamed about saying that to your boss. Alright? But you need to know that work in and of itself is not a necessary evil, but it's something that we were created to do. Right? Something that we were created to do. Let me quote what what bi- one Bible commentator said. Right, Bible commentators are people that get paid to study the Bible and help guys like me prepare sermons. He says this, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It's not simply medicine. But it's food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Do you realize that we need work? God, like it's not, it's not healthy and it's not even human to not want to work. Now you you might feel like my job's kind of miserable. I'm not saying you have to work your job forever if your job is horrible. Like the other day, I was I was at a, I was eating shabu shabu. Have you ever been to shabu shabu, we were at the one in Costa Mesa on Baker, which is my favorite one. And I was I noticed the guy that came out and that was the dishwasher. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, "Man, being a dishwasher just would not be a job that I would probably enjoy. Like that seems like a dirty job being a dishwasher." And some people are probably really thankful for that job because they're happy to work. But just realize, to work is good. God created us to do that. It's something that we need. We don't simply work to make money. You remember the old uh, bumper sticker or saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go? That's not why we work. We don't work to get a paycheck. That's not why we work. We work because God designed us to work. He wired us to work. Now. If you know this thing called the fall, I think Chris just went through this either last week or the week before. He walked through creation and fall and redemption and restoration, right? In the fall, work was frustrated. That's Genesis 3. So you ever feel like, man, my work is not awesome. In fact, raise your hand if you've ever felt like my work is not awesome. All right. I think every person has probably experienced that, except the host of Survivor, Jeff Probst, because that, that, that would seem like a really awesome job to be the guy that hosts Survivor. But most of us feel like my work is not always awesome because the fall frustrated work, but still, and sometimes make work, makes work feel a little meaningless, but ultimately God created us to work like Him. All right. And here's the third thing I want you to see about your work, and this is kind of intense. All right. So I'll only be on like five minutes, but I want you to gather this. So think a little bit this morning. If you've dozed off, pay attention on this. All right. To work is to create culture. To work is to create culture. Now, do you know what culture is? Like you, you're a part of culture, but you probably haven't thought about a lot about the definition of culture. Here's what culture is. This is one definition. Culture is the cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, notions of time, roles, spatial relations, concepts of the universe, material objects, possessions acquired by a group of people in the course of generations through individual and group striving. Like culture is what we're living in all the time. I had a guy at my house last week from England, from northern England. He was going to be here with me last week, but he he couldn't come because he had a bit of a family crisis last Sunday morning. He's a 60-year-old British guy. Now, he doesn't live in London. He lives in northern England. And I go to northern England a couple times a year, and a lot of the people I meet there have never been to London. And it's a two-hour train ride. They've never been there. They're like in their 30s. And they've never been out of northern England. All right? And when I bring my friend from England here and he stays at our house, things just baffle him culturally, like pancakes. He's like, we can't get pancakes in England. And I think, man, that is a real bummer. Like you have no stacks, pancake house. Uh, So pancakes are such an important part of our culture. You think about culture, like yesterday we were sitting in the living room and all of my kids were looking at their phones at the same time. So, there were seven people in our living room, four kids, my wife, and my mother in law, everybody looking at their phone because this is a part of our culture. So, you think of of culture, it's what's around us. Like, so we live in South Orange County. I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for three years, which I would not recommend to you. All right, but culture is completely different. Like, we had a smoking section outside the front porch of our church, people would walk out and light up. Because it was just culturally more comfortable. The pastor usually didn't do that. But it was more co- like so many people smoke. If you smoke here, people will kill you. You know, it's like you, you know, in Laguna Beach, you can only smoke in your car or in your backyard, legally now. So light up in Laguna Beach, and I don't smoke, but light up and you're in trouble. In Louisville, people smoked. Here, people don't smoke. Differences in culture everywhere. Now, when you work, You are literally creating culture, which is what God told us to do and created us to do. Where do we get this? Genesis 1. Back to Genesis 1 again. I just want you to... It's probably not going to be on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. All right? Have to go old school before 10 years ago. All right? And you'll just just have to listen. All right? Genesis 1. Listen to this. Verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now this is what God told us to do, which doesn't just mean having kids. All right, God when God said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, this is what he told people to do. What he in essence was doing was telling us to create culture. So Now, one Bible scholar says this, fill the earth does not just mean procreation, but civilization. God gave us the the, the task of developing and building out society. That's what He's doing. So the word subdue here indicates that that, that, that all God had made was good. It was still undeveloped. God left creation with deep, untapped potential that people were to unlock through their labor. So that's what we're reading about here in Genesis 1. So this Bible scholar, he goes on to say, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. Now listen, so farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. I'm a farmer. I have five plants in my backyard. Two basil plants, and a zucchini plant and two failing tomato plants and I tried to grow ghost peppers this year which didn't grow so I could trick you to come over to my house and put some in your food. So, so, so because when, I, when we farm or when we, when we grow food, right? We're taking the physical material of soil and seed and we're producing food. How about these, these musicians that just let us in worship? Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling like what what our worship leader can do on the guitar it's amazing like you can just sit there and go wow it's amazing that you can make that kind of sound out of a guitar when we take fabric and we make a piece of clothing when we push a broom and we clean up a room when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity when we make an amazing cup of coffee when we take an unformed human mind and we teach it a subject when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take simple materials and we take them into a work of art, we're continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. That's work. That's creating culture. And that's God-like. You understand that? Now you are God-like. No, I didn't say you're a God. I just said you're, that's God-like to do that in the image of God whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we're following God's pattern of creative cultural development. Now when you start to think about that, do you realize how all work matters? Because whatever you do, if you're continuing on with the work of bringing order out of chaos, like you're making a chicken sandwich for somebody or you're making a cup of coffee or you're serving people at a restaurant or you're fixing a clog in a in a pipe and if we imagine if we had no plumbers cuz have you ever tried to do plumbing on yourself with a YouTube video not that we have I'm just saying somebody might have at one point and exploded a pipe in the middle of their wall right whenever we have people that do these kinds of things that's godlike we're building society we're creating culture in our work. And this is what God tells us to do in the book of Genesis. Now this takes us to number 4. And that's that all work is sacred. Now there is a, there is a, a, a small caveat here. If the work that you do is immoral or criminal, then i would say well i don't know if that's sacred all right so you're like great i'm a drug dealer i'm i'm in the 18th street gang whatever so i would say well i don't know if that work is sacred but assuming that you're not living a criminal lifestyle this past week the reason i was i was i was interacting with gang members of the 18th street gang and i got my car towed and impounded <laughs> this past week. So, so uh, anyways, I was like, what you're doing is not necessarily sacred, all right? But, but then we went to this great Mexican food place in North Hollywood, which is where I got my car impounded, and that was definitely sacred, all right? So listen, all work is sacred, all work, all right, if it's not criminal or immoral, now, I'm just going to get a little philosophical here with you for a second. The ancient Greeks believed that the gods made people for work, but they saw work as demeaning. Where do we get this idea that like work is not awesome and Friday through Sunday is awesome? Well, it came from Greek philosophy because Aristotle once said, the ability to live without working is a truly worthwhile life. You ever feel like, man, if I could just sit on the beach with the margarita day after day after day, that would be a great life? No, actually, even when people retire, oftentimes they get busy again because we're not created to just sit. All right? That's what Aristotle believed. And then Plato thought that that to be the most human was to be the least involved and the least invested in the material world. So for the Greeks, humans could become most like gods by withdrawing from active work and devoting themselves to contemplation. Now, look at how that took form in the church in Christianity. Church leaders like Augustine, these were like early church leaders, and Thomas Aquinas reflected some of these views, and they saw physical work as inferior to contemplative and spiritual work. For example, so if you work at the Blind Pig, which some of you do, because I've been there and seen some of you there, you might say that's not as good of a career as being a pastor like Chris Pobletti. Alright? Because some work is, is secular and some work is sacred. Alright? And that's what, that's what the Greeks believed. They would say the godliest kind of work is like just sit and look at your Bible all day long. Then sit and look up at God and smile. Then look back at your Bible again. Pray a little bit. That's the godliest way. But the Reformers came along 500 years ago and they rejected all of this. Martin Luther rejected this. He said that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. See, in in Martin Luther's, Martin Luther was a monk. Like he sat around just contemplating stuff all the time. And he realized, he realized that by, in his day, it was held that by by taking monastic vows and submitting to this sort of monastic life, you could merit special divine favor that would save you, would make you right with God. Luther realized that's not true because he realized if that's important to be right with God, then ultimately I'm being saved through my works. And Luther realized that religious work did absolutely nothing to earn favor with God and could not be seen as superior to other forms of labor. Now, my wife and I were in Paris, France, maybe, I don't know, three or four months ago. And and if you've ever been to Paris, maybe a few of you have, we went to a church called Sacre Coeur. I can't say it properly because I don't speak French. I've tried and it sounds stupid. All right, So we go to this church. It's like a Friday evening and there's tons of nuns and tons of priests, and then there's like a thousand tourists. And all the tourists are watching the nuns and the priests like do this, this thing and walk in circles and sing, and we're like snapping pictures. And, and I, I thought, this is exactly what the Reformers were fighting against. This idea that if I become a nun or a priest, I'm set aside to what is sacred. And therefore, if I'm a plumber, that's just not that awesome of a career. The reformers argued all work is sacred. Working with your hands or with your mind reflects the image of God in us because work is godlike. In fact, we could say God was a manual laborer. Right? God was a farmer, God was a creator, God created things, not a monastic worker. All right, now there's a couple of ways. I want to say this before we go on to number five. There's a couple ways to distort work. The Catholic distortion and the Protestant distortion. The Catholic distortion says this. It, it says that the spiritual is the most important. So it elevates the spiritual at the expense of the secular. It goes like this. You should leave your job at the blind pig and you should go to seminary. That's what you should do. You should be a pastor because that's the godliest kind of work. Or you know what? You, 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 should, you Even if you're not gifted, you should find a way to be in Christian vocational ministry. That's a Catholic distortion. And the reformers would say, nope, all work is sacred. All work is godlike." All right, And then there's a Protestant distortion of work that elevates the secular at the expense of the sacred. The Protestant work says, and I'll keep talking about the blind pig because that's a local place that many of you have probably been. The, the, the Protestant work says you should spend 95 hours at the blind pig every week, and you should make that the ultimate in your life. All right cuz your work is the ultimate it's all that matters. The work no longer serves God but it becomes what I live for and find my identity in. Anybody know anybody who finds their entire identity in their work? A lot of us. A lot of people. All right? So listen. Don't believe that your work is less sacred than if you were preaching to people and don't make the mistake of making your work the ultimate thing either. Both are a distortion. God himself is a worker. God created us to work. To work is to create culture. All work is sacred. And then, and then lastly, and this is really what I'm driving at. So if there's a quiz after the sermon, this is what I want you to remember, okay? It's that your work matters. All right, will, you, will you please memorize that? In fact, will you say it out loud with me? I want you to say, my work matters. Let me count three. One, three one, two, three. My work matters. All right? My work matters my work doesn't only matter if I'm sharing the Gospel with people at my work. That's not the purpose of you working to proselytize at your work. Now look, I'm all about living on mission and being loving to people, serving people, looking for opportunities to have Gospel conversations, but your work matters in and of itself. It matters simply because you're working. I was talking to a guy, I preached in a a church in Saint Clemente, I was talking to a guy who owns a local business and he said to me, I don't even want to hire Christians anymore. He's a 75 year old real estate agent who runs an office with like 20 workers. He said, I don't really like hiring Christians. That's what he said to me. He said, I found that Christians, and he's a Christian. He said, I found that Christians don't work as hard as other people. Or Christians want to use their job to talk about the Bible and pass out Bible tracts. And I thought, wow, like Christians should be the hardest workers. Your work matters because excellent work glorifies God. You understand that? Excellent work in and of itself glorifies God. All right, 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it should be done to the glory of God. I was in San Diego, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I needed an Uber. To get from this church to the train station because i'd parked at the san juan train station taking the train down to downtown san diego so i needed to take the train back so i called for an uber i'm just kind of standing on this corner a guy rolls up to pick me up now i didn't call for uber select just regular uber x and a guy rolls up to pick me up in a in like a fat black cadillac now i don't think i've ever been in a black cadillac before I didn't even know what a, like. I don't think about Cadillacs very often. I never thought, hey, maybe someday I'll buy a Cadillac. But, but so he rolls up and he's got a suit on. This is like an eight dollar Uber ride. He's got a suit on. I get in the back seat and I'm I'm like, man, I'm like a rock star in the back of this car. It's super amazing. He has one of those like cold Starbucks drinks for me, like the kind in of the glass bottle that you buy, like. And he's got a he's got a cold bottle of water, like super serious about his job. Drives me, drives me over to the train station, $8, you know, gets out, opens the door for me. And I, and I thought, man, I have my own driver. This is pretty amazing. And so I, I get talking to him and he explains to me that I think, I think he's from Turkey. He lives in Hemet, wherever that is. It's like over by New Mexico. So he, 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 lives, in, he lives in Hemet and he's come into San Diego because he is an Uber driver. And he's taken it so seriously. And he says, hey, if you ever need a ride to LAX, and I said to him, I go to Europe several times a year, so I do need a ride to LAX sometimes. He says, I'll charge you the same as Uber. And so a couple weeks later, I call him and I said I need a ride to Lex. I was just telling Oscar about this because he. Uh, so he he says okay I'll come pick you up. So I said to him I need you at my house at three o'clock on Wednesday because my flight was at seven or something. So I need you at three o'clock on Wednesday. So sure enough like two forty five. He pulls up. Of course he would be there at 2.45, right? He pulls up at 2.45. I get in the car. Once again, he's got a suit on, his his black Cadillac, which is a super comfy car if you're old enough to drive one. Uh, so so anyways, and and um, he says, Brian, I got here three hours ago. No, I live at the corner of Alicia and Santa Margarita, just like two miles from here. So down Alicia... There's like Albertsons and uh, a mobile station right there, and some Chinese food right on that corner. He got to that gas station and slept in his car for three hours just so he wasn't late to pick me up to drive me to LAX to make a regular Uber fare, essentially, which is like two bucks a mile or something. So to drive me to LAX. Now, when I prepared this sermon, I thought, this is a now. This is a perfect example of when we pursue excellence in our work, we're creating culture and we're honoring God. Dorothy Sayers, a hundred years ago, who wrote a book on this, said, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. That's an amazing quote. The first demand that your religion places on you is that you should do your work excellently tomorrow. Whatever you do. All right. Also, your work matters because you're loving others. I'm just giving you a few things in terms of this number five. Your work matters because you're loving others and you're serving our society as you work. So look, if you're a restaurant server, you can do that job in a way that loves the people that you're serving. We've all had bad restaurant servers, right? Act annoyed with you, never show, like I'm not demanding at a restaurant because I was a restaurant server. So I'm the kind of person that like I'm always going to tip because if you've worked in that world, you just know. Uh, so, so but look, if you're a restaurant server, you're loving other people as you serve in a restaurant, and so do your job like that. You might not always feel awesome, and you don't have to be super smiley, but but I'm just saying you're serving our societies. You work. I've often thought if I ever get the chance to work at the DMV, I'm going to be the most amazing DMV, DMV employee. Because have you, because have you ever been abused as an adult as much as at the DMV? I mean, it's a scary place to go. I've been yelled at at the DMV just because we have kids that are getting driver's licenses and stuff, and try to be a parent and take a 16-year-old to the DMV. And it's just like the DMV people are the unhappiest people that I know. Now, recently, this isn't in the sermon, but I'm just going to tell you because you'll be interested. Recently, the DMV was hiring. I saw it on the Ranch of Santa Margarita Patch, and it was like $33,000 a year. As a full-time career, I thought, no wonder people at the DMV are unhappy. They need to get paid some more money. All right, so, so look, but but imagine working a miserable job like that, which I assume is miserable. Maybe they're super happy when they leave the DMV. But while they're there, they're not happy. And seeing yourself as a person who loves and serves people, rather than as a person who gets to be mean to people. Right? Your work matters because you're loving and serving people. And lastly, your work matters because you're salt and light wherever God has placed you. You realize that more important than your Bible track or your Bible or any of that kind of stuff, some of you young folks don't even know what Bible tracks are, but you older people know what I'm talking about, is your presence. Your presence. Your presence. Like as a dad, my presence is important in the life of my kids. It's important that I just be there. That I go to their events, that I be home when they're home, that I be available to them. Some of you had a dad that wasn't available. You're like, yeah, he was there, but it was beer after beer after beer after beer and football game after football game or whatever. It's important that I be present. It's important that you be present in your work. Your presence is salt and light. Imagine if you had Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday with no salt. That would suck, right? You need some salt. We didn't put enough salt in our gravy. It was me that made it. I didn't put any salt in it. People were like, there's no salt in this gravy. Gravy without salt is not good. Popcorn without salt is chewy and nasty. All right? Salt by its very presence, right? Salt by its very presence is important. Your work matters because your salt And light wherever God has placed you. All right. Now now let me conclude with this: God created a good world where our work once was. It ought to what was what it ought to be, but because of sin and death, God's good world and our good work experienced a devastation. Now our work is often frustrating and difficult. And you could say Amen to that, right? Your work is sometimes frustrating and difficult. All right. Yet, there's good news for us in our work both now and in the future. God took the initiative to conceive and implement a plan of redeeming us as workers as well as our work when He sent His Son to our sin-scarred planet. In and through the Gospel, our Lord and Savior Jesus called us to Himself. We're adopted into His family and He's invited us to join Him in His redemptive, rebuilding project. The totality of Jesus' redemptive enterprise is in one sense already occurring, but in another sense is not yet fully accomplished. So listen, as we go to work every day, and this it includes, by the way, working at home as a stay-at-home mom is just as much work as getting a paycheck, because we don't work for the paycheck. Right? We're shaping minds as stay-at-home moms. I'm not, because I'm not a stay-at-home mom, but if that's you, then that's. I'm not just talking about people that work for a paycheck. Being retired and working is still work. All right? So, as we go to work every day, we must realize that while our work is never, never all that it was intended to be, a new and better world is coming. And your work will one day be like God designed it to be in a pristine garden long ago. God has a great future in store for his image bearing workers, and how you do your work not only matters now, but it also matters for the future. So let me close with this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived the great street sweeper who swept his job well.